Welcome to Pumpkin Spice Podcast. It's a seasonal treat for fans of horror films. I'm Rob Schulte, and I'm here with Graham Young. Hey, Graham. Hello, hello. All right. I We were talking about this before we were recording, and we had to dive right in because I had a blast watching this, and it sounds like you did too. Yeah, this is uh, an amazing film, and for anybody that's just wanting to have a good time while watching a Friday the 13th movie, uh, this is the one I would recommend. This is just a blast, and it's almost like a really pitch black, dark comedy, Um, but there's a lot to take away from this movie, and again, if you're looking for quite possibly the funnest film in the franchise, um, I might have to say this is the one. Yeah, usually I like to talk about some random thoughts, but you brought something to my attention. And at the beginning of this episode, I think that we should bring it up. Um, you know, there's the trick, fo- there, there's the phone call and scream about like, you know, Friday the 13th part one, it was Jason's mother, and we all know this. But uh, you were like, yeah, or how did you put it? Well, um, in the horror film community, I've heard a lot of people say that the first Friday the 13th movie is the only film where Jason is not the killer. And that is total bullshit. And I guess we'll go into major spoilers right off the get-go. Because, Rob, Jason is not the killer in this film. No, he is not. He is in, what would you say, an effigy? Yeah, that's actually a, probably a good way of putting it. But um, but yeah, Jason is not the killer. And so if you want to look really cool in front of your friends, you can kind of throw out, so hey, you know that Jason wasn't the killer in number five either. Man, Graham, I wish I lived your life where I could look cool in front of my friends by saying that. Um, That's just my interpretation of it. They probably think I'm just the biggest loser ever. But in my mind, I'm the coolest guy in the world for saying that. But yeah, Jason is not the killer in this one, and like the fourth one, um, this film has some amazing characters that we actually care whether or not they live or die. So, uh, Rob, let me ask you just a really quick question. Um, The owner of the mental institution by the lake, I guess is what we're going to call it. Yeah. Uh, Did that guy look familiar to you? Did he look familiar to me? No, not really. Okay, so I guess you've never seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Wait, who was he? Okay, so in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, at the very beginning, uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays young Indy, and he is stealing a River, River Phoenix. Oh, did I say Joaquin? Yeah. Let's leave that in, Rob, because I'll just look like an idiot. But yeah, I meant River Phoenix, okay? So River Phoenix is playing young Indy, and he's stealing a, a gold cross, right? Yeah. And the the there's um the guy he steals it from is uh the guy that owns the um, mental institution for kids by the lake. Wow. And um he's actually the guy that gives Indiana Jones his hat. That's that guy. Yeah, that's incredible. It, I would have never known that. Thank you for informing me, Graham. Yeah, his name is Richard Young. And uh, no relation. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was kind of cool. Is this why from the jump you were connected to the characters in this movie? I, I guess I just felt found it interesting that um, Spielberg wanted to work with a character or an actor that had worked on a Friday the 13th film. Yeah, that is interesting. I will tell you this, though. Since you asked me a question, I have a question for you. Is that all right? Sure. Sure. I will have the answer immediately. <laughs> Graham, do you like chocolate? Do you want oh chocolate? Oh my god! Do you want chocolate? Um, that is the absolute 
Well, I'm not. I was. I was almost going to say that that's without a doubt the best scene in the film. Um, but I don't. After rewatching this film, I don't know if I can say that because this film has many great scenes, but that is one of them. And well, let's, basic- uh, let me just interrupt you real quick, then. Yeah, sure. Because I want this answer, but first I want, and I should have asked this before. I'm so sorry. The 30 second summary. Can you give? Oh. It Okay, get, gotcha. So, um, at the very beginning of the film, we see young Tommy Jarvis, um, played by Corey Feldman, in a short cameo where he sees uh, Jason sort of being resurrected. And then um, the adult um, Tommy Jarvis wakes up, uh, and it was all a dream, and he's going to this min- mental institution on the lake. Like, that's not going to bring up bad memories for him. And um, anyway, Jason, uh, th- I'm sorry. There's a murder at this camp. Time. And yeah, I know. That's this the first actually, time. That was the first I, time. I didn't make it. But this is a complicated um, script. And I don't know if you know this, but it was actually written by Aaron Sorkin. Really? No, that's a joke. I'm sorry. Jesus. Damn it, Graham. I, I know. Um, but you no, just said bit. that and I would have believed it. Basically, this this script is a little, or this uh, movie is a little bit more complicated. Hey, but um, what you're saying is you like chocolate. Uh, yes. What Rob is referring to is there is a murder that comes out of nowhere at this uh, camp, and it's not by Jason. So, like, there's one kid at this halfway house that's like obviously on the spectrum or something. One of the kids is like chopping wood for whatever reason, and. This guy has been going around to each person, uniquely annoying them. Ask this guy if he wants chocolate, and the dude just like chops him in the back with an axe because he was that annoyed by him. Yeah, um, I think he just pushed him a little bit too far. Once you see that scene, you'll never forget it, and it's just really out there. We learn later on that um, the kid that was murdered, his father is a paramedic. And he sees the corpse of his son and he loses it. And he sort of takes on the Jason persona and goes around killing everybody. And when I say he goes around and kills everybody, this body count is pretty high, Rob. Yeah, bigger than any other so far. He actually fashions a rubber mask with a hockey mask on top of it. And when I first watched this and I saw the kill, the axe kill... I was like, oh, this is going to be some sort of uh, weird Jason spirit, and that's why it's a new beginning. Um, but then when you find out it's the paramedic, it's very much like, oh, he, he made a lot of weird asides to the camera that seemed irrelevant at the time. The payoff is okay. Um, and I think what the uh, filmmakers originally intended was that Tommy Jarvis would take over uh, the role of Jason Voorhees. He just basically broods and has like and spazzes out occasionally in the film, which we kind of leads you to believe that, oh, he's kind of living on the edge like the guy with the axe. And um, he's he's probably the killer. At least that's what I felt the first time I watched this film. And Rob, I'll just say this real quickly. This is the first Friday the 13th movie I ever watched. So oh, it has a special wow. place in my heart. Um, and um, like the axe scene at the camp with the chopping of the wood. I will never forget that. 
I will also never forget Tiffany Helms' robot dance, but we'll get that to that a little bit later. But Rob, I actually did a, a, a count. I didn't do um, a kill count, but I did, I did count the dialogue spoken by Tommy Jarvis, and he only has 24 lines of dialogue. Whoa. And he's our hero, and he does jack shit the whole movie. He doesn't save anybody. I mean, when he does go to save um, the remaining characters at the end of the film, he, gets he just sliced. gets sliced. Yeah, he just gets sliced immediately. He's a real kind of throwaway character, and I just don't think the filmmakers knew what to do with him. That being said, I'm not complaining at all. I love this movie. I think it's great as well. Like, there was this like new level of excitement thrown into it. And yeah, you care about the characters. You kind of get that mystery again because you still, you know, you think it's Jason because he's come back two movies prior, but Jason really seemed dead at the end of the last one. Yeah, and Tommy's having nightmares, and it's sort of um, Jason like, come on, you, you want to kill, right? Let, let's go kill some people. And you're like, yeah, Tommy's the new Jason. This is cool. Of course, that doesn't happen at the end of the film or does it i think i i don't know it left more questions in me because then it's like did tommy frame the other guy but obviously not because he fell on the spikes and you see the mask and then it's sure. like, so why does why did why is that the decision that has been made the killer's motivations are pretty weak in this film but again the pacing of this film uh, the characters, it just flows so well. I don't know about you. It's a 90-minute film. It felt like less than an hour rewatching this. Yeah, it really did go by fast. Because you're just like, oh, man, this is so cool. And before you know it, it's over. And I definitely think this is one of the strongest films in the series. And again, Rob, um, I just had a, a total blast watching it. I hadn't seen the film in years. And um, really quickly... I'm going to go deep here, Rob, so bear with me. So for it. all our horror film fans out there, um, when we discussed uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors, do you, rem do you remember Patricia Arquette's mother? Vaguely. I mean, I remember um, she was uh, uh, verbally abusive. Sure, and where's the fucking bourbon, bitch? Yes, that that yes. whole line. Okay, gotcha. So in real life, she is the real-life mother of Tiffany Helm, who plays Violet in the film. And she's my favorite character in the movie. The breakdancer? The breakdancer. The punk the punk woman. You know what's also weird to think about uh, when I watch these? And I think I texted you while I was watching it. But I'm watching all of these in HD. And I had to go back and look like, what year did this one come out? What year did A New Beginning come out? 1985. That would have made me one feels like it could last forever or, or like it could take place at any point in time, especially with fashion as it is right now. But you get those callbacks like this scene of her breakdancing in her room with the posters on the wall. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is 1985. I love it. I, I absolutely love her character. Um, I really haven't seen any other movies starring Tiffany Helm. Um, but, um, I think she's absolutely fantastic in this film along with everybody else. So Rob, let me ask you a quick question real quickly. Have you ever seen Return of the Living Dead also from 1985? I have not. I will say that it's, uh, not only one of the best zombie movies ever made, but it's one of the best, uh, movies made from 1985. And 
Uh, it all it also stars um, Miguel A. Nunez Jr., who plays Demon in Friday the 13th Part 5, and he plays Spider in uh, Return of the Living Dead. And I'm telling you, Rob, watch Return of the Living Dead. You'll call me right afterwards thanking me. It is absolutely one of the best, one of my all-time favorite films. Maybe a, a spring season of zombies could be fun. Yeah, yeah, a rebirth, a, a resurrection in the exactly. spring. Exactly. Well, the, I mean, I, I guess our listeners will have to let us know, which probably brings us to a good point that the best way you can support this show is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you update to iOS 11, which came out the day we're recording this, um, it makes writing a review a lot easier. All you got to do is find our page, and it's right there. You can click five stars. Yeah, click five stars and let us know that you love hearing us ramble about these goddamn slasher films. But really quickly, getting back to Miguel, um, again, I love this actor. And his name in Friday the 13th Part 5 is Demon. And there's this hilarious line of dialogue where his younger brother, um, he's really wanting to see his brother Demon. And his grandfather's like, Okay, you can go out with your brother Demon, but you be careful with Demon. And it's just like they say his name is <laughs> yeah. Demon, like it's nothing, and it's just so hilarious. Well, um, that's also, I think that's the best death in the movie too, in the the Johnny on the Spot. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Or the outhouse, rather. Yeah, and speaking of deaths, Rob, the MPAA sort of really went to town on this film. So if you're looking for a Friday the Thirteenth film that has a lot of gore, this is not it. But it has some great kills, unfortunately, that were cut short. Um, but that doesn't take anything away from the film. It is a blast. It's a, it's a really good time. Yeah. Uh, just to backstep a little bit to that outhouse death, how weird is that like singing sequence between Demon and his girlfriend while he's trying to poop? By weird, you mean awesome, right? Well, of course. So should we jump into... Uh, the tally? The Jason tally? Uh, sure, yeah. Guess what? I don't need to read anything new because we don't have any new information on Jason Voorhees in this one. Yeah. So if anyone wants to hear the tally, may I direct you to the previous episode where you can hear it in full. Um, it's pretty much our way of trying to eventually figure out what Jason Voorhees is. Correct, Graham? That's that's right. Do you um, have any idea at this point? I mean, we're we're about halfway through. He know. is a. In my mind, he's always been sort of this, um, ghost slash zombie. He's just this um, force of nature, this unrelenting killing machine, and I don't know much more beyond that. Yeah. Um. Other than a guy running around in the woods with a hockey mask is a very striking visual image. And it's something that I grew up with as a kid. And um, gosh dang it, I'm still having a blast watching these films. Now, Rob, um, if I could just get back to these characters real quickly. I, I Like I said, I'm in love with these characters. But how would you like the middle-aged poonhound? <laughs> what? Uh, the guy with the mustache that pulls up to the diner oh, to pick up his girlfriend, yeah. and yeah. he's like maybe forty-five. Um, and the, he is the a, way that shot just reminded me of you remember USA Up All Night? Oh, absolutely! Like the scene of him pulling up and those like purple lights and his like 
too shiny of a mustache with an equally shiny head, like leaning out of the car with his leather jacket, just reminded me of an opening segment to USA Up All Night, and I was about to see Gilbert Gottfried or someone. Or Rhonda Up yes. All Night. Or what, I, I cannot do the impression. I'll apologize to yes. our audience for that. As we go through the series, we'll know for sure, but based on my memory of the franchise, this might be the segment that has the most nudity. Oh, this one? Well, I think the director you directed like softcore porn before this. Oh, no, I looked it up. He did hardcore porn. Oh, okay then. Okay, so yeah, this has a lot of sex in it. And Rob, there's a sex scene that was actually cut short by the MPAA uh, where a couple go into the woods, do a little cocaine, and then get after it. And it was cut short in the sense that it it doesn't even look, look like they had sex because she's completely naked and he still has his pants on. And then he says to himself, hey, I'm going to take a break from this. Yeah, and like, go, I'm going to go wash up. Yeah. And then he goes to the lake and throws rocks in the river. And I'm like, dude, your girlfriend was ready to have sex. What the hell are you doing? I think we were supposed to think that they had just had it, right? But he never took his pants off. Maybe he had just put them back on. I think the weirder part here is that he decides he wants to wash up in dirty-ass lake water. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, after watching that scene, um, I think it's he who is the dead fuck and not Crispin Glover. Probably. If we're getting into our favorite kills, if I could segue into that... Um, that scene is my favorite kill where, uh, Jason takes his belt and wraps it around the guy's head, uh, who's, uh, positioned behind a tree and then takes a stick and wraps it around the belt and basically squashes his head. Did I, did I explain that? Yeah, uh, he, but the, in continuity errors, he rotates it counterclockwise and clockwise when it comes I did, between them. I did notice that, Rob, but it doesn't take away from the scene. It's still a really good scene. It's great. It's great because it's... It's dirty and gritty and gross. But all in all, it's a very sort of hypersexual film and um, is uh, very welcome in this franchise. Is there anything you'd like to let the listeners know that we're looking forward to next episode? Gosh, number six probably has the best opening um, in a Friday the 13th film. It's very reminiscent of the universal um, monster movies from the 1930s, uh, very atmospheric sets. Um, but just a couple of quick things about number five that I just want to talk about a little bit more in detail. Final thoughts, huh? Uh, final thoughts. Um, Tiffany Helms' uh, robot dance um, is on the level of Crispin Glover's dance uh, from number four. And I almost wish that was a staple of the series, that in each film we had a character doing a kick-ass dance. But as far, I would love to see a dance between Tiffany Helm and Crispin Glover. I mean, how about that? Ooh, that would be fantastic. Like, Dancing with the Stars? You know, fuck all those pseudo-celebrities. Let's get Tiffany Helm and Crispin Glover to do a dance. I love it. I think I would like to see um, this episode of Freddy's Nightmares that uh, Tiffany Helm starred in. Oh, I haven't seen that episode. I've seen a couple of... I think we should watch that... uh, and then talk about it as like a wrap-up episode for this season because then we can bridge the gaps of both seasons. Totally. Oh, my gosh, Rob, I'm so glad you brought that up because I need my Tiffany Helm fix. Again, I thought she was fantastic in this film, and I would like to see more of her. She has 13 
uh, films on IMDb. Okay, we'll go through that. Um, one other quick thing on final thoughts. Um, there's this scene with Tommy Jarvis um, where the campers are getting ready to go into town. And one of the camp counselors is like, hey, you should ask Tommy Jarvis if he wants to go. He's kind of a weird guy. And he's standing by a tree with his back to the camera and his arms kind of moving. It looks exactly like he's just like jerking off in front of everybody. It and it's pretty funny. It reminds me of the remake of Psycho. There you go. Uh, the one scene they added, uh, Vince Vaughn uh, jerking off outside uh, the bathroom before entering. and That and uh, they added the line, let me go get my Walkman. Oh, is that? Okay, got you. Yeah, I don't think that line was in the 1960s version. Yeah, I, I looked for it, but uh, let me go get my Walkman was not in it. Okay, Graham, you've pretty much named the things I wanted to talk about in Final Thoughts, but do you have any others? Uh, yeah, I do, and I'm going to come off looking like a real jerk for saying this. Because I'm such a cinephile, in Friday the 13th Part 5, there's a scene where two campers are watching a black and white movie, and the man propositions the woman in a really weird way. It's really funny. And it's called A Place in the Sun from 1951. And ironically, the movie involves a character who drowns in the lake. It's almost like some thought went into it. Exactly. But anyway... Um, I will say that A Place in the Sun is a really great movie. It has nothing to do with Friday the 13th Part 5, but they are watching it in the film, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Graham, you know what time it is? Um, is it time to uh, do the robot dance? It's time for the Mel Gibson moment. Oh, are we, we're, we're going to keep doing this. Okay, well, um, Mel, I'm here if you ever want to talk, and we can... Uh, discuss your problems, my problems. No, nobody's perfect. Um, but you seem to be struggling with some things. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I could uh, heal your demented heart, like I said uh, last episode. What If you had to watch one of these two Mel Gibson films, which one would it be and why? Man Without a Face or that one where he has the puppet on his hand. What's that called? The Beaver, directed yeah. by Jodie Foster. Um, gosh, you know, uh, to tell you the truth, I haven't seen either film. Um, I guess I would be interested in The Beaver because I am a fan of Jodie Foster. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think I've seen a film that she's directed. So I would watch The Beaver, not for Mel Gibson, but for Jodie Foster. And that's another episode of Pumpkin Spice Podcast. Graham... This was another great one. Thank you again. And maybe we could start a new segment right now. I'm just pulling this out of my ass, Rob, um, where you and I both give a Halloween recommendation at the end of each episode. Love it. Uh, uh, Love it. So what film would you recommend this October to our viewers? Okay, I suggest Terminator 2, Judgment Day. As far as my recommendations go, I already mentioned uh, Dan O'Bannon's Return of the Living Dead. It is absolutely amazing. It's this great horror comedy. And honestly, I think it's one of the best horror comedies ever made. Um, But in addition to that, um, anything from Mario Bava. I consider Mario Bava to be the greatest horror film director of all time. And if I could give a random recommendation, 
let's say Blood and Black Lace from 1964, starring Cameron Mitchell. This is a wonderful movie. Um, again, anything from Mario Bava, you can't go wrong. Blood and Black Lace from 1964. It is incredible. All right, that's the end of this episode of Pumpkin Spice Podcast. Remember, rate and review on iTunes. And uh, Graham, I'll see you next week. Yes, next week we'll dive into Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives.